0: Good morning, guys. Good to see you. Uh, Today is World Communion Sunday. And uh, so one of the ways that we're living into that is we sent half of the congregation out to other parts of the world uh, to be worshiping in all kinds of places. Uh, This is always this way at fall break. And uh, so those of us who are here um, get extra God points because we're not on vacation and we're in church. So, you know, there's always that. Uh, and we do trust that God's at work in all in the kind of going and coming and all that. And I think um, I announced last week, but m- many of you know, some of us are leaving, about 23 of us are leaving for Israel tomorrow. So uh, we're going to have a, a trip there, and I will be gone until the 12th. So next week, Landon Harding, the Wesley Foundation director, will be here uh, to, to, um, to preach. And he happens to also be the husband of Christina Harding, uh, one of our children's ministers um, And they have the cutest little son, Grayson. Uh, And if you get the chance and uh, get get them to have him wink for you, because he does it like this. Like this, at that age, cute, cute kiddo, and wonderful family, and Landon is uh, remarkable. Uh, So I'm I'm excited about that. I pray that you will pray for us. Uh, There are about 23 of us, uh, including a lot of family members, but mostly Broadway folks uh, who will be uh, in the Holy Land until the 12th, and um, so we'll come back and tell you about that trip. Uh, And. uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being able to share some about that, to make connections to the places where some of the things that we talk a lot about happened. Uh, so, so much then, too, for World Communion Sunday. Uh, I, I wonder if it changes our perspective to think about uh, what we're a part of as a worldwide movement and uh, to, to really consider the, the ramifications of that. To think that it probably does matter that people like us get together week in and week out all over the world in every community to be uh, a light, uh, uh, the the, the distinctive influence, salt, a a distinctive flavoring in those places. That it matters that people get together and remind themselves that the truer story is not the one that we see with the blinders on, but the fuller story of God's enoughness, as we've been saying in this series, the cosmic enoughness of Jesus, w- wouldn't it matter, in fact, if we would all renew, like, if everybody in the whole world who professes Christ got together every week and said, okay, we are going to rally around that, we're going to renew our hope in that, and we're going to live like it matters, as if, uh, in fact, it m- mattered the, the, the thing that's most important in the world. That, that's World Communion Sunday to tell the story of the cosmic enoughness of Jesus and to convince people who see life with blinders on the fuller perspective. That's the thing behind Colossians. And to also remind us that the reason we gather is not because there's something missing. There's not a sense of lack or anxiety or dread, not fear. We don't, we've said this a couple of times in this series, um, you can go anywhere and say, hey, good, Good morning. We gather in the name of anxiety today. Glad you're here. And you can go a lot of places and and find, fill in the blank, fear or worry or a sense that there's something that's needed. But the church tells a story that our starting point is very different. Our starting point is the sufficiency of Christ, knowing full well that most of us are not living from that place. So Colossians tells us that story. And then it... It does this beautiful thing. It goes up into the cosmos and says Jesus was there at the beginning. He's he's in the in the root of all things, uh, and then it keeps coming right back down to the ground and saying, yeah, but this matters in different ways here on earth where we happen, most of us happen to live, most of us. So uh, Colossians 3 is that. It kind of goes to the practicals, and last week we went to some of the things that, uh, that maybe are, are, are tough to hear, that that really our thinking and our acting and our words don't always align with the this life that we have in Christ. Colossians 3.12 and what we're at, coming to today is a little bit more of the positive vision. It is a little bit more of the picture, the, the sense, the feel of what it's like to be in Christ together. It's one of my favorite passages. And so as we consider what it means to live in Christ, we hear these words. And we're sort of just going to break them down today and then come to communion together. Uh, Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so one of the assumptions of this passage is that our relationship with Christ does primarily begin to redefine all of our other relationships. That living in Christ is something that we do together, and that there's a character, there's a quality of life that we share that (coughs) is the quality of life that God himself has that's now being imparted to us. Therefore, as God's chosen people. And so what we do, our activity is a direct outflow of our, our identity. And Colossians 3.12 begins there. Therefore, here refers to the words that are immediately precede precede Colossians 3.12, which is Colossians 3.11. That's the way it works. And right, right, what we ended with last week is, is this statement. There is neither Gentile nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, bar- barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, the bouncing off point is the sufficiency of Christ. Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, uh, and, and that identity piece here is super important. We are God's people in line with Abraham and Adam, in line with Moses and Mary. We gather around the world today in the line of, of those who have been called since the, the, the beginning of time to be God's people. And God seems determined to have a people, have a, have a group of people who are called out. The church literally mean in Greek means called out. Those who are called out to tell the story and then go, go back in mission to the world. This is the way Dallas Willard talks about it. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God himself in that community, as its primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. This is who we are. We are God's chosen people. Literally, that word means elect, the people who gather not because of some human tribal allegiance, but gather for one reason because God's chosen us, because God has made uh, a decision, because God has acted. And if you think about it, most of the, the, the other gatherings that we're a part of uh, have a very different starting point. Something that we've done or something that we want to do, a very kind of human level thing. The church gathers because of God's choosing, because God's determination, uh, to a chosen people we love because he first loved us. Chosen people, holy or set apart, people with a purpose. Our purpose, uh, we, we describe it here Broadway as invite, grow, serve. But there is a process by which we find our meaning in this story. And we, we use the, the story of Christ as the truer story because no one else will tell it and then find our meaning from there. As God's holy people and dearly loved. And that word literally means Beloved. It is the word that's used over Jesus when Jesus is baptized. Remember the story, Jesus goes into the water, of baptism comes up, the heavens open, uh, the spirit comes down in the form of a dove, and then God speaks. And the voice says, this is my son, the beloved. In him I am well pleased. Here's what Colossians understands, that we have been baptized with Christ. And so what Christ did not just on the cross to be a substitute for us, but in every point in his life to be the one who could do what we couldn't do for ourselves. Christ is baptized. And when when he is baptized, we're baptized with him. And so that belovedness is now ours. That voice of God speaking over Jesus is actually now speaking over us. This is my daughter. This is my son, the beloved one. And this is just the beginning of, of, of this passage. It is just the starting point to try to give context for everything else that follows. Because we have been brought into the cosmic sufficiency of Christ, therefore, do this. And then there's a list of things that, we, that, that identify us that describe the kind of community, the kind of life that we share. Colossians says, clothe yourselves with things like compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. These are identifiers of Christian community. They are the things that God has made possible. I like how practical it gets. Compassion, for example, uh, literally means to suffer with. And so when we gather in the name of Jesus, we already know what kind of love that we're talking about here, the kind of love that will suffer for the sake of the beloved. Words like kindness, which, you know, kindness is a kind of fun word because there's no way to do it hypothetically. You can't be kind to somebody just in your thoughts. There has to be some kind of outflow of that, some kind of action. And so often when uh, uh, when I talk to people who are struggling in some way to, to live this out, it has to do with how do you put this into practice. And the baseline of our relationships with each other is kindness. Not hypothetical love, but love and acts of goodness and generosity. Colossians 3 uses the word humility, which means that in every encounter I have both the opportunity to contribute something and learn something. And wouldn't our whole world be different even in that if we just all live that way? Every single encounter we have with someone is an opportunity to contribute something and to learn something. That's humility. Gentleness. And I think we can think of all kinds of ways in which we are not so gentle with one another. The church gathers in the gentleness of Christ, taking extra care with one another, exhibiting patience with one another. And I often remark that the truest translation of that word is long-suffering. Yay. Colossians uses... The expression that we would clothe ourselves in all these things. You know, Colossians 3 12 and following is one of my favorite wedding scriptures, uh, partly because everybody's heard the sermon on 1 Corinthians 13. There's nothing wrong with that. The love is patient, love is kind. Uh, but Colossians 3 is one that I, I like to use at weddings because of this analogy, because it says to literally put these clothes on, compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness. We're going to put them on intentionally. And the beauty of it is that uh, in the sufficiency of Christ, we don't have to create those garments. We We just get provided with them and And then it just matters whether we put them on or not. We don't have to make the clothes ourselves. We just got to get dressed in them. And at a wedding, of course, one of the most basic things is that people have taken a lot of intentionality on that day to get dressed. It is probably the most intentional they will be their whole marriage, and it's kind of downhill from there, right? Like I often say, most days you will get up and you will not. I mean, it's sort of like, let's be real here. You're not going to look like this, right? She's not going to look like that. He's not going to look like that. Most days it's going to be bedhead and pajamas as you start your day. But at the on that day when people get married, they're super intentional about what they wear. What if we were that intentional in, in the everyday and how we're clothed? Because it's easy to clothe yourself with anger. It's easy to clothe yourself with bitterness. Those are the natural flow of life. But in Christ, we can put something else on, something that we don't have to create, something that we simply get to live into. Because there's no greater compassion or kindness or humility or gentleness or patience than God's love for us. Colossians is honest. That it isn't always easy. Verse thirteen: Bear with each other. Sort of literally means put up with each other, doesn't it? And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Mother Teresa has this uh, poem, this saying that um, that maybe is familiar with you to, to you with a lot of folks. But uh, it begins this way: People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. And I like the honesty. It goes on and says, people are just going to disappoint you. But keep showing up. That is a Christian way of doing life. How often do we feel like we get let off the hook when people are illogical or unreasonable or self-centered? And we say, see, and it allows us to step back. The Christian way of encountering that stuff is to use that experience to lean in. The thing we say is that we're going to grow in our love for each other through conflict. Because anybody can do conflict the other way. See, it lets me off the hook. But if God had done that for us, we would be in trouble, wouldn't we? Conflict itself becomes the opportunity to discover what love really is. This is the Christian way. So the scripture talks about forgiveness and not just any kind of forgiveness, but we forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Desmond Tutu uh, led the movement of reconciliation after the ending of apartheid in South Africa and spoke about forgiveness and reconciliation a lot. Uh, And this is one of the things that he he says. It is quite clear that forgiveness, reconciliation are not mamby-pamby things. It's not for sissies. It's a tough thing. And what I think he means by that is we can kind of talk about forgiveness in flowery relational language and not in the life or death situation that it really is. And so he continues, and yet we will disappear into oblivion if we all think about getting our own back. And then he says, an eye for an eye will leave most of the world blind. Over all these virtues, Colossians says, put on love. It is sort of the outer garment. It is the main way we encounter the world. It's the thing you put on when you're going out into the rainstorm. it's a thing that you're going to put on whenever you're tying your outfit together. Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And so this is the picture of fullness. Christ in you, the hope of glory, wrapped in the love of Christ, you know, one of the things that we say at a funeral sometimes, um, this is a more traditional way of doing it, so it's not every funeral, but um, I think it's a beautiful image. Uh, we have a thing called a pall. Uh, you may not have really known that's what it's called, but we have pall bearers at funerals, right? And so the pall is the thing that, that you drape over the casket. And we have one. We have one that we use, sometimes use in more traditional funerals, and it's, it's exquisite, it's beautiful. Gold kind of threads and just beautiful intricate uh, stitching. And um, traditionally, what happens is the family, the people closest to the, the person who's passed away, gathers before the casket is brought into the sanctuary. They, they often it will be at the at the back of the sanctuary. The family will get that out and they will drape it over the casket together. And then we sort of all put our hands on the casket, and I say as. Your loved one has put on Christ in this life. May now in death, may they put on glory. This is Colossians' vision, that we put on glory. The hope of of, of this is that Christ is in us and around us and over us and tying it all together. And so then verse 15 picks up a vision of that. Let me just read it in its fullness. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, peace here being the thing that's in charge Since as members of one body you were called to peace, peace here being the thing that is at the heart of our calling, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this passage talks about singing. Uh, It is something that we do week in and week out. It's part of of our life together, and we know there are a lot of reasons why. Our hearts beat together when we sing together. It gets us out of one side of our brain and into the other. We all kind of remember music in in, in a different way. When the Methodist movement started, we were called Those Singing Methodists. And uh, there was sort of a... um, I mean, just sort of a reckless abandon to that. Um, and, and some of us are, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them is a little more reserved. I'm not, I don't have a great singing voice, so I don't necessarily think of myself as a, as a singer. Maybe you can relate. Uh, and um, sometimes, you know, I don't remember all the words. And uh, so that made me think of a story. I've thought of a couple stories today. One is um, of Miss Mary Markham. Anybody remember, Mary passed away several years ago, but some of you will remember Mary. Mary is one of our saints who passed away and is now uh, with God in glory. And I met Mary the first time in our copy room. Mary uh, uh, was—we call it our volunteer room, by the Uh, way—and Mary was one of our volunteers. And she would come in about twice, three times a week, and she would do projects. You know, we can cut out things for the ELC, our learning early learning center, or um, in kids' zone. Mary was always in there, and she was um, pretty much always talking, or humming, or singing. And she just sort of had this sort of energy about her. Uh, she was just super sweet and pretty joyful, which is pretty handy to have in the copy room because we're convinced uh, most days that at least one of the copy machines is connected, not but you know, connected to a different place and is trying to make our lives, especially um, as staff, as complicated as possible. We have um, sort of uh, this sign that we uh, need to put over the copy machine that says, bless and do not curse. But some days, you know, it's not not so easy. But it's hard to go into the copy room. This was sort of my first experience of Mary, and be t- and be too frustrated when you have basically your favorite grandma singing hymns in the copy room. It's a beautiful dynamic. One of the funny things about Mary was that she couldn't ever remember the words to to those. She would remember, you know, most of the words to a hymn. But she didn't remember all of them, um, and that did not stop her in the slightest from singing kind of loud in the copy room while we're all trying to, you know, just do our work. She would just make up words, or she would just totally not even care and just make up sounds to fill in the blanks between what she could remember and what she couldn't, just going to town. One time, in fact, I remember asking her if she would like to sing a solo in church, and she says, I do every day. Did not bother her a bit. And I got to thinking, I wonder how many times I hold back because I don't don't know the words, or there's some practical reason. Um, Mary was a good example of somebody who was going to worship anyway. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And maybe it comes with living, where I don't know. I don't know that I always, if I'm honest, come in on Sunday morning and, and get to the place where I make the connection, where I'm singing to God with gratitude in my heart. I think Colossians would want us to make that connection and would want us to know that there's nobody who can you know, can do that for us. Like, like that's a thing that we bring in to worship. And one thing that makes worship different than a performance is not the quality of your singing, but the thing that you bring into the equation that only you can bring, that, that connection. I think Mary lived with that connection, and over the years, I, l- I learned a little bit of maybe why in that sp- specific context that it was easier for her. Uh, because uh, eventually I learned that Mary uh, had been very concerned about our church at one time when we didn't have really very many children. It was before our early learning center and before we had such a dynamic ministry with uh, young people. And so Mary went to my predecessor, Pastor Rick Bard, and said, um, we need to do something about that, and I'm going to be praying until something changes. And things did change. So I think my way of remembering the story is that Mary came in a couple times a week to sing out of gratitude in her hearts because in her heart because God had answered her prayer. And there's a real energy around this place when there are kids here. In the summer, it's kind of boring. It's kind of harder to get work done because there's no energy uh, during the year with our preschool. And then on Sunday mornings, there's just a vibrancy to this place. I can't imagine this place without that. But Mary could. She had experienced it. But she'd also experienced the other things. So she was just so happy to go clip out some things for those kids that she had prayed for and sang solos in church every day. The other story that I thought of with these songs and psalms and spiritual songs, the way Colossians describes it, it's a real comprehensive way of thinking about music. Actually, I can think of two stories because it's uh, hymns or it's contemporary music. It's, it's the Psalms themselves, which the church has sung. And so um, several years ago, I went to um, fill in for somebody at, w- at one of the memory care f- facilities because of... Um, uh, they went and go, They would go and play the piano for uh, those folks and play hymns, and they couldn't go. And so I played the piano, and they asked if I could go and fill in. So I went in and played some hymns. And what's remarkable about hymns in a memory care facility is that those songs are still in there. Like those people make a connection. They can't remember sometimes some really basic things, but those songs touch something deep within them. So you hit the hymns, and all of a sudden, they're singing without hymn books, and there's just an energy, energy, and it's, it's just, it's remarkable, it's something special. So I played several hymns that day, and um, people were really into it, and I was kind of feeling excited, so I switched over into, from the hymns to the spiritual song side, and I have a more contemporary song that I like, and it's real, real kind of big and jazzy and stuff. So I played it, and I, I was now I was into, it, and I was just caught up into it, just like playing and going to town, banging on the piano. And sometimes I do play just too loud, and the piano was sort of bouncing. And I ended, it, and I was just like, "Ah!" Oh. And one of the gentlemen in the back said, "Boo, boo, boo." So he wasn't fully on board with Colossians. He just he liked the hymns, but not the. When I think of the Psalms, I think of Joanne Scott. Uh, Anybody remember Joanne? Joanne passed away in 2010. And she was diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in um, 1994. So she lived with 16 16 years with cancer. It recurred three times after her original occurrence. And eventually uh, went into her bone marrow and she was fighting for her life. So in 2008 or 2009, uh, before she uh, passed away, I interviewed Joanne for a sermon. I remembered something about it, so I went and, and checked the story and uh, was reminded of some things about her, about her. Joanne said in that interview that during her, her cancer battle, she learned to pray. She learned to pray specifically. She learned to pray things like, God, give me the strength to get from here to that chair over there, in her words. She also practiced life in community that I think is in keeping with Colossians. She was part of a small group. I remember the day when she was, it was clear that she wasn't going to live much longer and her small group of ladies, there were about 15 of us, went to her house and we shared in Holy Communion together. And in the view of, of death, yet there was just a, a, a sense of life and hope in that communion time. Joanne was also one of our first mentors at T.C. Cherry Elementary, and she, uh, in that interview back in 2008, uh, said that it was the prayers of this church and her, her small group that gave her the strength to do what she did, and what she did was she kept going as a mentor even as she battled cancer. She went twice a week. She would do chemo in the morning and then go in the afternoon. And I don't know how you have the strength to do that kind of thing. And she was pretty special. But the thing that I kind of remembered uh, for today as I think about the Psalms and the power of letting these things dwell richly among us was that Joanne told the story that when she was in confirmation as a kid, so a fifth grader or a sixth grader, the confirmation leader the pastor whoever it was said um, pick a song uh, a psalm or a scripture that will guide you through your whole life now that's a pretty it's a pretty big ask isn't it for a fifth grader pick a scripture that that could sustain you for your whole life and she did and she memorized it it's psalm 91 and so joanne said in that interview that there were times when she couldn't find the strength to concentrate enough to read the Bible. But she had this psalm from her childhood inside of her. And so she would recite the first two verses that would sustain her, and she would repeat them over and over, and in her words, she would feel God's hand. Psalm 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Colossians imagines whatever circumstances, whatever we do, whatever the situation is, something fuller going on, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we've said, we could gather in the name of fear or anxiety or a sense that we need to do something. But the church gathers in the name of the sufficiency of Christ, speaking over every circumstance. And one of the things that we'll discover next week that's sort of been behind the scenes this whole time, Paul's going to wrap up the letter and say, I'm writing this from chains. That in fact, we've heard this cosmic enoughness of Jesus spoken over his situation, which is, in a lot of ways, something that we would think is the opposite of that. And so we gather today in the name, not of anxiety or fear, but in the name of Christ and gratitude be, being our starting place as we come to communion. And we're doing communion today, reminding ourselves of that world communion. That this distinctive thing that we have is something that we share with people that we might not even share a common language people that we probably don't have the same experience with, people that we will never meet, and yet we are part of a movement, and that it is absolutely essential that we tell this story. It is absolutely essential that we reset ourselves at the beginning of the week so that we can renew ourselves as part of that movement. And so we are going to join in communion with those folks around the world today. And we're going to join in the, the words on the screen in the great thanksgiving, because thanksgiving is our starting point, giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. And so I invite you to join with me in the, the parts that are yours on the screen as you make your preparation to let Christ dwell among us richly today as we celebrate his cosmic enoughness with people around the world. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and of earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church. You delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water in the spirit. Jesus commissioned us to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, to make disciples of all nations. And today his family in all the world joins us at this table. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise, in thanksgiving, in union with Christ's offering to us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. I invite those who are coming forward to serve forward as we pray together. Let's pray. God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. We ask that you would renew our communion with your church throughout the world that you would strengthen it in every nation and among every people to witness faithfully in your name. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. As you come to communion today, you'll come out the right side of your sections. This is section, this one, and this one. And, um, and you'll return the, uh, to the left, and you'll come with your hands open to receive. If you have an offer, you can drop that in the basket and then receive the bread and take that bread and dip it into the cup and then receive it. Uh, and if you want to be anointed with oil, there'll be people on each side of those communion folks to do that as a special claim over you or a situation in your life to claim the sufficiency of Christ in that over you or that situation. I invite you to pray and to find that connection today, what you're grateful for, how it would change your life to let peace dwell and rule and live into that calling and to find that Christ is enough for what is ahead in the week As as you come. You're invited to come.